Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey! Hey! Welcome to the show. Welcome to my house, baby. Take control now. We don't have to go out. I don't really know the rest of the song. Bom, 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 bom. <laughs> Welcome to your Amanda Poltergeist. Hello. We are your weekly drip from the paranormal crip, whatever. Crip. You know, I haven't been doing those the last few weeks because I've yeah. forgotten, not forgotten, I've forgotten. How to rhyme? How to speak? Yeah. It's it's late <laughs> right now, but I, I just haven't been in the, I mean, we've been recording a bit later, so I mean, come on, guys. I can't, I can't think of witty rhymes at this time of night. No. We are brought to you today We're by our fantastic... Paranormal kooks with all the spooks oh okay there we go that's a good one sorry no you're right continue your segue today we are brought to you by our fantastic patrons over at www.patreon.com slash you mean a poltergeist what's that thank you patrons yeah thank you patrons uh head on over there and show us some love if you want yeah you mean a poltergeist that's my weird English guy impression. Is that English? I don't oh, know what that was. It was just me, but really deep. Yeah. Kind of cool. Kind of hot. Oh, you like that? No, please don't hey, do baby. it. Hey, baby. No, stop I'm it. Doing that. Stop it. <laughs> it's like, I Sound don't know, like Sylvester Stallone a with shittier. a mouth full of bees. Sylvester <laughs> 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 You could call me Rock B. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, I'm out of it. I'm not not in a <laughs> not in a in a witty mood. Okay. State of mind. I don't know whatever it is. What's new, babe? What's up with you? Uh, nothing's new. Nothing's up with me. Oh, I guess I'm I'm trying a new hormonal balance diet. Mm. Your food looks great. Yeah, I had tonight. I had lemon and herb salmon with fruity fried. Wait, fruity stir fried rice, mm-hmm. which was supposed to be garnished with passion fruit, but passion don't fruit have any passion don't fruit right now. <laughs> yeah, but it was. It was. I ended up garnishing it with um, pak choy leaves. Mm. Yum. The recipe called for bok choy, but close I had pak choy. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> it was close enough. You're two letters off. It's fine. And do you know what's in the rice, babe? 
Tell me. Mango. Oh, that's yum. Yep. Yep. We had a little bit of frozen mango left in the freezer. And I'm like, well, May as well. he doesn't want to use it. Finally. Mm, yum. But it's it's delicious. Mm. It's really nice. And it said to have a dollop of aioli on the side. Oh. So you filled the whole bowl with aioli. The, uh, the entire plate was smothered. <laughs> no, I literally only had a little dollop. Mm. Yum. So a nice, like, good hearty meal and all the vitamins to help my body be Back uh, to a normal female hormones. body. Fantastic. Mm. Awesome. I remember cooking a stuffed chicken breast with cream cheese and mango inside. It's really good. I was about to say, that sounds delicious. Why don't you make things like that for me? Why do you always bring this up? <laughs> Why are you, like, comparing you, my previous why, things I've done to what I do for you now? Am I not good enough? You, you're perfect. But, like, why do you... You're always like, oh, I make this one thing. And I'm like, you never... We've been together for almost four fucking years. And nothing. You know you know how many times i made me I've a cauliflower made... pizza at once. And the paper was stuck to it. <laughs> <laughs> we ate the paper. <laughs> we did eat the paper. Um, I've been backed up ever since. <laughs> <laughs> We've, um, yeah, well, I mean, I've only ever made that mango cream cheese chicken thing twice in my life. Twice? That was like... Twice? That was like seven years ago, the last time I made it. I just remembered then. You know my memory? <laughs> <laughs> I can barely remember what I did for... the I can't even remember what I was trying to say just then. Like, <laughs> oh, honey. point proven. Are you okay? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm all right. sweetie. Um, yeah. I'm not... only poking fun at you. Yeah, I'm talking. Nothing's Sorry. new with me, by the way. Just sort of let you know. I don't know what's going on. Nothing's new. Nothing? Oh. Just our dogs snoring around yeah, us? Yeah, well, whatever. You're used to it. <sighs> My charity anyway. thing is going ahead well. Have you explained what the charity thing is on your on here I don't before? Think so. I was going to say on your Patreon before, like <laughs> as if. Yeah. Uh, anyway, have you explained it here before? No. Shall I? Go for it, babe. Do All it. All right. So on September thirteenth at seven a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, I will be playing a game of Call of Cthulhu. It's a tabletop horror uh, role-playing game, and I am going to be playing with five people over the internet for twenty-four hours straight. For charity, I'll be supporting the Chrysalis Youth Empowerment Network, which provides training and care to disadvantaged youths in Uganda to help them grow into pillars of change in their community, which is a really cool little cause. Uh, I'll be explaining it more to you guys as it gets closer, but I filmed a little fun promo video for it that I might release later on. Um, we're all going to be dressed up in fun 1920s outfits, which is when the game is set, so it's going to be a good time. Let me just, like, remind everyone that it's in September, and Brayden has already dragged me to op shops to get his <laughs> outfit, and he's just been working really hard on this, so yeah, go and support There's it. Lots I think it's a really good, it. good cause. Yeah. My, and Brayden um, will be awake for 24 hours. Let's see how much he'll hallucinate <laughs> by the end of that. Because when you're awake for even 12 hours, you're like, oh, fuck, I can't keep going. God, like, usually games are called Cthulhu. I'll play for, like, three hours. 
and that's fucking like by the end of it you're drained because it's it's so it's so like horror it's just i'm drained like, too by so the end much of horror. it because <laughs> yeah, i'm seething with rage that you're <laughs> spending time with me so i've got to be angry the whole time so i get it i get how exhausting it is yeah. so 24 hours of me seething rage yeah yeah but um yeah uh, I've reached out to like the person who made the game, and they're gonna sit in on the stream. Who's and the person that made the game? Uh, Mike Mason is his name, but That's... he's I've been chatting to him a bit. And also, there's a great podcast for Call of Cthulhu that I really like, and the uh, person who runs that I've been talking to and making friends with, and they're gonna come on and watch as well. So, lots of people supporting in that community. Really fun, and obviously Bob's been bloody. A, oh. a, a diamond when it comes to this he stuff, is. always. Isn't he a di- he's a platinum record, that's what he is. <laughs> Bob the platinum record. Put that one on your wall. He's gone gold, he's gone platinum, he's gone diamond, silver, brass diamond. and diamond. All of them. He's bloody all of them. Yeah, anyways. Fuck your YouTube buttons. Get you a, <laughs> get you a Bob. Get you a Bob button. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll talk more about that. Bob's going to be joining me for that, by the way. All right. Uh, do you want to move on with the program, babe? Who's gone first this week? I'm just watching Priscilla intently sniff her collar that I just took off of her. She's like, what is this strange She's thing? like, this thing? Yeah. What are we talking about today, babe? I'm talking about... Now, y'all have probably heard of it before. This one's a bit popularized, for sure. Um, it's... Thanks, Thanks for the creepy... Door crack in the background. This one's the Demon House in Gary, Indianapolis. In Gary. In Gary. (laughs) Who's this Gary guy and how'd he get a demon house in him? (laughs) Bad joke. Terrible joke. I saw that coming too. Did you? Yeah, I was like, he's going to try and make some joke around the name Gary. It's going to be terrible. And guess what? And it was. It lived up it, to that it expectation. Lived up to the hype. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't even know where to start. Like I've I've, re- I've been reading this for like the last six hours. I've watched bloody YouTube videos and carried on. Anyway, look. So this demon house made headlines in 2014 over in America um, when Latoya Amons sought out exorcisms for herself and her three children wow yeah funnily enough though so her mother lived with them as well but her mother wasn't affected by the demons she was probably protected by jesus christ well yeah i would say so (laughs) this got extensive media coverage of course police ended up being involved and even the department of child services dcs was involved as well oh my gosh and there's um Nearly 800 pages of official records. Shit. Scratching my nose, sorry. Yeah, of official records um, of, like, the all the events, like, through the police, through DCS and wow. hospital reports and shit like that. Um, and it's been all recounted over a dozen times in interviews with police and media outlets and shit like that. So oh, it's damn. been very widely covered and there are actual documented reports. Oh wow. And I especially from um a Catholic priest. Oh. Yeah. You know they're trustworthy. 
No offence to any I think in this case, definitely trustworthy, though. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'd rather them be there to exercise a demon than Joe Blow on the... Than Joe Blow on the corner of the street looking for a job. Yeah. (laughs) We'll work for money and just like, well, I got the fucking job for you, Joe Blow. (laughs) You ever heard of demon possession? (laughs) Yeah. You're going to exercise some demons. All right. Yeah, I've always wanted to be a PT. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thinks he's gonna just go to like a, you know, a school with a bunch of killed, killed kids <laughs> and help them exercise. Yeah, that's it. All right. So, uh, members of the police departments and child services witnessed things that went on in the house and at a hospital. Shit. I know. So, the Gary Police Captain Charles Austin said it was the strangest story he'd ever heard. He's an almost 40-year veteran of the Gary Police Department. Wow. And said he initially thought Latoya Amons and her family concocted an elaborate story as a way to make money. Who would have thought that someone could be inside Gary for 40 years? (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he didn't believe them. Mm. And it took several visits to the home and witnessing all these unexplainable events for him to actually say, I am a believer. Oh, damn. Yeah, I don't know why I said it like that. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm a believer. So, it all started with flies. How much do we love flies and demons? Yeah. They're like the perfect combo. They go hand and wing together. (laughs) (laughs) Sulfur and flies, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, November 2011, the Amons family moved into the rental house. At the time, it was a rental. In December, the first strange thing occurred. They had a screened-in porch, and it got completely swarmed with big black flies. Yeah. Like in the Amityville, and despite it being winter, because December is winter for them. That's like the middle of winter, isn't it? Wow. So there shouldn't have been flies. No, definitely Or at least not not that many. And um, Latoya's mother, Rosa Campbell, is quoted saying, This is not normal. We killed them. We killed them and killed them and killed them, but they kept coming back. They just weren't leaving. Oh, my gosh. Flies all the time. Um, In the house after midnight, Campbell and Amons said they would hear the steady clump of footsteps climbing the basement stairs and the creak of the door opening between the basement and the kitchen. They would lock the door at night but still hear the same sounds. Oh. Campbell woke up one night to see a shadow figure of a man pacing the living room she got out of bed to investigate and found large wet boot prints. Keep that in your mind. Wet boot. Wet boot prints. So she found them all over the li- um, living room floor. Yeah. Um, other things that started to escalate in the house were like flickering lights and strange noises, but it escalated from there even further with the family becoming possessed. <laughs> Fuck. So, March 10th, 2012, their unease turned into fear. It was around 2 a.m. and normally they'd be asleep. But on this occasion, they were mourning the death of a loved one with all their friends. 
when Amos was uh, in Campbell's room, in Campbell's bedroom. I was going to replace it with like their first names, but then I didn't. So you can just deal with their last names. So Amons was in Campbell's bedroom when she came out screaming for her mum. Campbell rushed into the room where her 12-year-old granddaughter, Amons' daughter, was levitating off the bed and was seemingly unconscious oh at the God. time. Oh, my God. Magic. Magic. She was in there with her friend as well. It's her friend David Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We don't know. It specifies. It could have been. Uh, we'll we'll leave that option in. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Soon, um, uh, like several of the party members and Amons herself were all around the child, praying while she's levitating yeah. in the air. And eventually, she ended up coming back down. But in the meantime, Campbell was left terrified. She was quoted saying, "I thought, what's going on? What? Why is this happening?" Anyway, so when the girl eventually came back down to the bed by an unseen force, um, she woke up with absolutely no memory of what had just happened. She didn't know that she levitated. She thought she was just sleeping the entire time. Yeah. Um, so the people in the house that were visiting, they left and refused to ever go back. They're like, nope. Not doing it. Very never coming fair. back there. Very fair. Fair enough. I wouldn't either. No, neither. That's when Campbell told Amos that they needed help from someone who knows how to deal with this. They called local churches, but they refused to listen. I'm sorry. Come on, church. But isn't that part of the church's thing yeah. to do? You listen to people's problems and then you try and find a fucking solution? <laughs> isn't that what religion is there for? <laughs> I think... Catholicism and like looking for like an exorcist, like only specific Catholic churches do exorcisms and only yeah. specific priests, like it's a thing they need to train for. Yeah. So if they said, if I guess if they're saying they couldn't help, they didn't have the but knowledge. But they weren't of how even to. listening to them. Oh, yeah, right. They wouldn't even just listen to their story. Like, yeah, you guys are idiots. Like, yeah, whatever. We all know demons haven't existed since the 1700s. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we expel them all. We came over last week and Chris Angel was hiding in the cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try and pull that shit on us again. (laughs) It's not happening. Okay. But um, eventually they ended up listening to him. That's good. And officials at one of the churches told them that they definitely had spirits in the house. And they recommended the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia, then use oil to draw crosses on each and every door and window. So completely scrub down the house with bleach and ammonia and just then slather oil everywhere. Was this the Catholic church or was this just a regular church? I think just one of the churches in there. Yeah. I don't know if it was the Catholic church. Didn't really specify. Yeah. I feel like just the fucking crosses would have been fine. Maybe the place looks like shit. And I mean, like, probably you guys need, need to clean it. did need a clean, like, <laughs> you know. I'm just cleaning it anyway. This dust ain't helping your cause. So, also at the church's suggestion, Amons also poured olive oil on her three children's hands and feet, then smeared oil in the shape of crosses on their foreheads as well. 
So the family reached out to two clairvoyants and both claimed the house was infested with 200 demons. Jesus. The clairvoyants told Eamons the best thing to do was move out of the house. But unfortunately, yep. it wasn't an option for them as they just didn't have the money to do so. They <laughs> just didn't have the funds to move again. Be homeless. <laughs> right? <laughs> if, Claire, if two clairvoyants have come in there at separate times, both have gone, there's at least 200 spirits demons in this house. Leave. Yeah. Hey. Why are you not leaving? Get Pack your there. shit. Get the fuck. You know what? Leave your stuff there. It's the demons now. <laughs> yeah. And you need to leave. <laughs> the clairvoyants ended up giving them, like, gave the advice to maybe make an altar in the basement of, like, good possessions. Just and then right. to smudge the house with sage and sulfur. So, Eamon's covered an end table with a white sheet, then placed a white candle and statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it. She opened up a Bible to Psalm 91. Is it how I say it? Psalm. Is it Psalm? So, the P is silent. Yep. <sighs> okay. Could always say Psalm. Psalm. I was going to say that, but I was like, that's not right. All right, so Psalm. 91. She was with a friend at the time and they both wore white t-shirts and wound white scarves around their heads. And as they went through room to room, they started at the top of the house and in the entrance of the door like you're supposed to when you're saging a place. And then they ended up down in the basement and the smoke was so thick and heavy they could barely breathe by the end of it. Yeah. Like it wasn't leaving the house at all. But while Latoya went around the house with the sage, the friend went around with the passage. And this is what the passage said: says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that talks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. So they just read that, I think, over and over and over while yeah. smudging the house. So for the next three days, nothing odd happened, as if it was finally over. Fantastic. Dun, dun, dun. You're wrong. But that's when things got worse. Oh, fuck. The demons then possessed Amon's and her three children, ages seven, nine, and 12 at the time. So the kids' eyes bulged, evil smiles crossed their faces, and their voices deepened every time it happened. Fuck that. Campbell said the demons didn't affect her because she was born with protection from evil. She said she was a guardian who protects her, but she said she felt weak, lightheaded, and warm. Her body would shake, and she said she felt out of control when trying to be possessed. The youngest child was seven and would sit in the closet talking to a young boy that no one else could see. The boy would describe what it was like being killed. Wow. Yes. Terrifying. The seven-year-old once flew out of the bathroom as if he'd been thrown by an unseen force. A headboard once smacked the 12-year-old daughter in the head, causing a wound that needed stitches. The 12-year-old also later told mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she was being choked and held down so she couldn't speak or move. She said she heard voices say that she'd never see her family again or she wouldn't even live for another 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. That's really scary. Yeah. Some nights it got so bad that they actually left the house and slept in a hotel but would always end up returning. 
By April 2012, they went to their family physician, Dr. Jeffrey. Dr. Jeffrey. It's just Dr. Jeffrey. He's got a really weird last name. Okay. And told they told him that what was going on and in hopes that he would understand. But instead, he was quoted saying it was bizarre and 20 years, 20 years and I've never heard anything like that in my life. I was scared myself when I walked into the room. So in his notes, he wrote down delusions of ghosts in the home, hallucinations, history of ghosts at home, and delusional. Right. Like, as the... That's his prognosis. That's his prognosis, the delusional. Which, so fair enough, coming from a scientific background, you're trying to medically, you know, diagnose yeah, these true. people, clearly delusional. Yeah, that's what you would go with if it was the 1700s. Okay, but it's 2012. Get woke, Jeffrey. <laughs> exactly. You're not lit, fam. <laughs> um, but he would. He refused to like t- tell any other details other than that. Um, due to patient confidentiality, and he said he wouldn't release any other details unless Ammons, Amons, sorry, had psychiatric clearance for right. the waiver that she had signed for confidentiality. So. That was all you could find out on what he had to think about it. So, according to um, Campbell, Latoya's son cursed the doctor in demonic voices, raging at him. Medical staff said the youngest boy was then lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching the nobody touching him. This was recorded in a DCS report. So that's oh, the shit. Department of Child Child Services. Yeah, right. So the boys then abruptly passed out and wouldn't come to. Campbell cradled one boy in her arms and Amons held the other one. Someone from the doctor's office called 911 and the doctor said um, seven or eight officers arrived along with multiple ambulances and they took the boys to the, the Methodist Hospital's campus in Gary. This is where some shit gets real. Fuck. This is where some shit gets real? <laughs> Shit's been real since the moment you started speaking. When all this stuff is written down in, like, police and child service reports, it kind of makes you believe it a little bit more. Yeah, oh, fuck yeah. For sure. Because, like, why would they... They wouldn't really... They wouldn't lie. They wouldn't lie. Not child what, services, they right? can't lie. They can't. Child services I mean, is more reliable police than might, police. But, yeah. <laughs> child services, definitely. Um. So, the boys, upon ar- arrival, were still... A, like knocked out asleep they weren't waking up still and the hospital personnel laughed at Amons when she requested that she anoint her sons in olive oil she said i couldn't talk to them so i talked to god instead oh how lovely the boys eventually woke up in the hospital the nine-year-old boy acted calm and rational but the youngest screamed and thrashed around according to campbell she said it took five men to hold him down. This is a seven-year-old kid. Yeah. How could it take five men to hold yeah. down a seven-year-old kid? Unless Got that he was possessed. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, during all of this, someone had called DCS, probably the doctor's office, I reckon, and asked for an investigation into the family, starting... Um, sorry, stating that there may have been child abuse and neglect and that Amons is probably mentally ill. 
So the person not named at all, they obviously they they can remain anonymous, said that the children were performing for Amons and she was encouraging the behaviour. Uh. Yeah. So Valerie Washington was assigned uh, the case and was asked to handle the initial investigation. She gave the following account to police and in her intake officer's report. Hospital personnel examined Amons and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated Amons and determined she was of sound mind. Says ruling out mental illness and abuse and neglect. Yeah. Washington interviewed the family in the hospital. While she spoke with Amons, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing. His eyes rolled back in his head. The boy locked his hands around his brother's throat and refused to let go until adults pried his hands open. Later that evening, Washington and a, and a registered nurse, uh, Willie Lee Walker, brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview. Campbell joined them. The seven-year-old boy start, stared into his brother's eyes and began to growl again. It's time to die, the boy said in a deep, unnatural voice. So he started to say in a deep, unnatural voice, I will kill you. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting Campbell in the stomach. Campbell grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. According to Washington's original DCS report, an account corroborated by Walker, the nurse, the nine-year-old had a weird grin and walked backward up a wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Campbell Landing on his feet, he never let go of his grandmother's hands. Oh my fucking god! He walked up the wall and flipped over, flipped over her, and stood there. There's no way he could have done that. Walker was quoted. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall as though performing an aerobic trick. No, Washington told them. She said the boy glided backward on the floor, wall, and ceiling. Jesus Christ. That is terrifying. She told police she was scared when it happened and ran out of the room. As for Walker, Washington said, he ran out of the room with me. We didn't know what was going on, Walker stated. This was crazy. I was like, everybody got to go. Yeah. (laughs) That's my favorite quote of this whole thing. (laughs) Everybody got to go. Yeah, I think I do know this haunting. I like it. This is yeah. So I think scary. we watched one of the YouTube videos yeah. together. I rewatched it today, which made me just go, "Yeah, this Creepy is as fuck. fucked." So, according to Washington's report as well, they told a doctor what happened. The doctor, who did not believe them, asked the boy to walk up the wall again. Walker said he told the doctor he doubted the boy could repeat that. This kid was not himself when he did th- when he did that. The boy said he didn't remember what happened and couldn't do it. Also, I should mention that um, Latoya wanted her children's names kept out of the media. So that's why it's Ah, just the boy, the nine-year-old, the daughter. Yeah. Sorry. Should have said that earlier. Walker had previously believed in demons and spirits and thought the boy's behavior had some demonic spirit to it, but also was a result of a mental illness. Um. The boy also didn't remember what had happened. I think I already said that. Yep. But um, Washington did say she believed that there could be an evil influence affecting the family. 
Eamon said they that she spent the night at the hospital with her seven-year-old son while Campbell took Eamon's daughter and older son to a relative's home in Gary. The next day was the youngest son's eighth birthday. Eamon said DCS officials asked Campbell to bring the older children back to the hospital, presumably to talk about what happened. The family celebrated the boy's birthday by singing and eating a miniature cake. Then DCS took the emergency step to take custody of the children without a court order. All of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, Washington wrote in her DCS form. Eamon said she and her children cried because they didn't want to be separated. We'd already been through so much and fought so hard for our lives, she recalled. It was obvious we were a team and we were beating it. Whatever we were fighting, we made it through together as a team and they separated us. Are you sure you were beating it, lady? <laughs> Your fucking son's crawling up walls. <laughs> it's sad, though, that they they did it as like an emergency one. I feel like this yeah. isn't... I mean, it was good for the kids to get them out of that environment. But also, yeah. I don't think it's the mum's fault. It's not the mum's fault, but get them out of there. Yeah, get them out of there for sure. The Reverend Michael Maginot? May not. I don't know. Pardon me. Just choose a word and say it. Maginot. (laughs) (laughs) The Reverend Michael Maginot (laughs) was... Leading Bible study in his living room from uh, the morning of April 20, 2012, when he received a call from a hospital chaplain. Reverend Michael had had been the priest at St. Stephen Maritime Parish in Mary, Marylville. Fuck me, America. <laughs> <laughs> For more than 10 years, but had uh, never received a request like this one. The chaplain asked him to perform an exorcism on the Amon's nine-year-old son. Reverend Michael agreed to interview the family after Sunday Mass a few days later. Because Sunday Mass comes first. Yeah, exactly. Exorcisms last. Second. (laughs) Just right at the bottom. So the first step Michael said was ruling out natural causes um, for what the Amon's and her, for what Amon's and her family um, were experiencing. He visited the home on the 22nd of April. For two hours, Amos and Campbell detailed the phenomena for him. Then, Campbell interrupted the interview to point out a flickering bathroom light. Every time that Michael would go over there to investigate it, it would stop. Uh-huh. And he would, couldn't find the cause of it. Yeah. And he quote, he's quoted saying, it must be scared of me. <laughs> Okay, dude. Bit cocky. <laughs> That's what we need, though. I Cockiness. like this energy. Yeah. Cocky, this confidence. Cocky reverend energy. <laughs> cocky reverend <laughs> energy has to be the title. That's the title. <laughs> someone make a note. Make a note, someone. Cocky I'm reverend energy. So the interview was interrupted again when Campbell pointed out Venetian blinds in the kitchen swinging when there was no air current. Michael said he also saw wet footprints throughout ah, the living room. No. So it's a common occurrence. Yeah. Eh? There we go. 
So Amos complained about having a headache and Michael said she convulsed when he placed a crucifix against her head. After a four-hour interview, Michael said he was convinced the family was being tormented by demons. He said he also believed that there were ghosts in the house. Because it is apparently believed that people were murdered there too. Oh, God. But I didn't want to find more information on that at all. So, Michael blessed the house before he left, praying, reading from the Bible, and sprinkling, sprinkling holy water in each room. And he told Amons and Campbell to leave because it wasn't safe. They temporarily, they temporarily moved in with a relative. But less than a week later, the two women were back um, in the house to let Washington, the DCS family case manager, check the condition of the home. Washington asked a Lake County police officer to come with her. Two other officers, one each from Gary and Hammond Police Departments, asked to join them out of professional curiosity. Amos refused to go inside, but Campbell agreed to accompany the group. The main floor had three bedrooms, a living room, one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. Um, A door in the kitchen led to the basement with concrete floors. Directly under the stairs was a dirt floor. The concrete around it was jagged, as though it had been broken. The makeshift altar Amons had created was still in place, along with rings of salt she had poured against the basement walls to dissuade the demons. Campbell told officers that demons seemed to emanate from beneath the stairs. Oh. Austin, the Gary police captain, was one of was one of those officers that had accompanied them. And he also believed in ghosts and the supernatural, but said he didn't believe in demons, but changed his mind ah, after being in this house. Yeah. During the interview with Campbell, one of the officers' audio recorders malfunctioned. The power light flashed to indicate the batteries were dying, even though the officer had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier that day. Another officer recorded recorded audio, and when he played it back later, heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey. Ugh. It's pretty cool. Pretty creepy. How you doing? Fine, you. Yeah, pretty good. Creeped out. So the officer also took photos of the house. In one photo of the basement stairs, there was a cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner. When an officer enlarged the photo, that cloud appeared to resemble a face. The enlargement also revealed a second green Im- a second green image that police say looked like a female. Austin said photos he snapped with his iPhone also seemed to have strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his police issue Ford malfunctioned on the way home, and later that evening, Austin said the garage at his home refused to open, even though the power was on was on everywhere else, and the driver's seat in his personal 2005 Infinity also started moving backward and forward on its own. He had the car checked at a dealership, and the mechanic told him the motor on the driver's seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction leading to an accident. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Fuck that. Tampering, Mr. Demon. Yeah. Right? That's naughty. Also, there's a photo taken of the front of the house where you can clearly see someone standing in the window, but no one was in the house. No. Yes. 
It's like a white figure. Uh. It's creepy as shit. So Austin said he found himself starting to believe Eamon's claims of paranormal activity, but the mental health professionals evaluating Eamon's and her children remained sceptical. In April 2012, DCS petitioned Lake Juvenile Court for temporary wardship of the three children and the request was granted. DCS found that Eamon's neglected her children's education by not having them in school regularly. The agency made the same finding in 2009 as its records showed. So Amons told Washington that there was times she could not send the kids to school because the spirits would make them sick or they would be up all night without sleep. So DCS temporarily placed her daughter and older son at St. Joseph's Carmelite home in East Chicago. Amons' younger son was sent to Christian Haven in Wheatfield for psychiatric evaluation. Clinical psychologist Stacy Wright, who evaluated Eamon's youngest son, said the boy tended to act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he didn't want to answer. In her evaluation, Wright wrote that he seemed coherent and logical except when he talked about demons. It was then that the eight-year-old's stories became bizarre, fragmented, and illogical. Right said. His stories changed each time he told them. He also changed the subject, quizzing Wright on math problems and asking her about outer space. When you die, if you go to space, he asked, how do you get to space? Do you have to wear a helmet and a suit? Wright believed that the eight-year-old did not suffer from a true psychotic disorder. This appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetuate Perpetrated. Perpetuated by the by his mother and potentially reinforced by other relatives, she wrote in her psychological evaluation. Clinical psychologist Joel Schwartz was who evaluated Eamon's daughter and older son came to a similar conclusion. There also appears to be a need to assess the extent to which Eamon's daughter may have been unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences, Schwartz wrote. So Amons also told Schwartz that there were shadowy figures in the home, and she said that twice she went into trances. And Amons' older son um, told Schwartz that doors would slam and stuff started moving around. Uh, Which is pretty, like, classic. Stock standard poltergeist shit. Yeah. So, um, Amons was examined several times by psychologists who said she was guarded but did not seem to be experiencing symptoms of psychosis or thought disorder. One psychologist recommended Amons be assessed to determine whether her religiosity may be uh, masking the underlying delusional ideations um, or perceptual disturbances. Is that right? Perceptual yep. disturbances. Yeah. But Amons and all three kids still continue to insist they were possessed by demons. So if they're being evaluated and they're like, there's no clear signs of mental illness. Hmm. I think. You're either faking it or you're You're either faking demons. it and you're really, really good actors or it's demons. Okay. So DCS put in goals to um 
pretty much say no more talking about the demons like let's just try and be happy family and you can have your children back if you move out of the place you need to leave the place you know get yourself a job and leave the place so she did that um latoya did that she ended up moving out um with her grandmother i think they moved i forget where they moved to i wrote it down somewhere but i'll tell you um yeah so they ended up moving out of the house eventually and latoya got a job but they still needed to exercise everything Uh So Campbell, Amons, Austin and two other police officers from the initial visit went back to the home on the afternoon of May 10, 2012. Police officers visited after work hours. They were joined by Reverend Michael, two Lake County officers with a police dog and DCS family case manager, Samantha Illick. Samantha, who was there in in an official capacity, said she volunteered to go in the Washington's place because to go in Washington's place because Washington didn't want to go back to the house. Mm. So it was the first DCS manager. Yeah. So a county officer took his police dog around the home, but the dog didn't show interest in any particular area, according to Leake County police records. Everyone else headed into the basement. Samantha touched some strange liquid she saw dripping in the basement and said it felt slippery yet sticky between her fingers. Michael told police he wanted to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram or personal objects that might have been cursed. He said a pentagram might indicate a demonic presence and and possible portal to hell. Or to check if someone had died in the house and was buried under the stairs. It would explain a paranormal um, haunting. Yeah. So, one of the police officers dug a four-foot by three-foot hole beneath the stairs, unearthing a pink presser nail, a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. Um, they found nothing else. And then the officer just buried it all back under again. Yeah. Because. That's weird stuff. That's what you're going to do, I guess. Someone buried it there for a reason. All the wrong reasons. <laughs> so Michael, Reverend Michael, blessed it all with some salt and as a barrier to it and was like, okay, cool, we're done. Samantha said that she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger started to tingle and whiten. She complained it felt broken. Less than 10 minutes later, Samantha said she felt as if she was having a panic attack. She couldn't breathe, so she walked outside to wait for the group. When the priest started questioning Amons inside the house, she complained of a headache and shoulder pain. She joined Samantha outside again. So... Austin, the police officer, said he felt the house... Uh, he left the house, sorry, at nightfall. Austin, who has been shot at and has investigated murders, rapes, and armed robberies during his more than three decades, almost four decades on the force, said he wasn't going to stay in the house past dark. <laughs> this is a tough police officer, like, mm-mm. Veteran I'm not police officer that. who's, like, not about that life. It's not happening. So the other officers continued to walk through the home. On the main floor, they noticed an oil-like substance dripping from the Venetian blinds in a bedroom, but couldn't figure out where it was coming from. So they made everyone leave the house 
they wiped it down with paper towel and then they closed off the room for 25 minutes. No one was allowed in. No, like obviously no one's allowed out because no one was in there. And they stood guard of that room for 25 minutes, went back in, the oil was back on the blinds. Oh my gosh. So, you Where's know. it dripping from? That's it. Michael told the police that the liquid was a manifestation of paranormal or demonic presence. Insane. So, Reverend Michael wrote this massive report detailing everything that he's found, all this shit, sent it to Bishop Dal Melkux, Melzix, um, and asked for permission to perform an exorcism. Uh, it was at first denied because this bishop, in his whole 21 years of being a bishop at this specific place, um, he had never had a request like this for an exorcism. Yeah. He's never done an exorcism, and he told him to contact another priest who has done exorcisms before. So Michael did just that, and the priest, <laughs> the priest is like, just go on the internet and get this document. Oh, my God. To perform your exorcism. Yeah, exorcism. that seems... Legit. So there's like these smaller exorcisms that you can do without the Catholic um, church's approval. Right. And But it's not as effective because you don't have the Catholic church behind you on it, but yeah. you can still do it. Mum's been to an exorcism. Your mum? Yep. Oh, for fuck's sake, she has not. Yeah. I don't know much more information than that. Oh, my God, yep. we need to get Mandy back on. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Just so we can... Talk I wanna, about that shit. I want to know. Anyway. So, um, it's more of an intense blessing. Yeah. To expel the bad um, spirits. So, he did that, the minor exorcism on the Amons, and the ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out demons. So, two police officers and Samantha from the DCS uh, attended the ritual. Samantha said she left believing that something was going on, although she wouldn't go as far as saying it was demonic. She said she got chills during the nearly two-hour exorcism. fuck that. And she said, we felt like someone was in the room with us, someone breathing down your neck. Ugh. Ooh. So, after that... Samantha had a string of medical problems. So she got third degree burns from a motorcycle. Um, she, within 30 days, she also broke her ribs, jet skiing, broke a hand when she hit a table, then broke an ankle running in flip flops. I had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me. Her joking response was, I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupt it. They wouldn't waste their time on me. Saying that the demons wouldn't because she's evil. Right. right. Cool. So after the little minor ritual, Reverend Michael told uh, Latoya to look up names of demons to see what it could have been. So her and a friend jumped on the web. They typed in what was happening and a few suggestions came up to who the demons could be. So Beelzebub was one of them because he's the Lord of the Flies or something. Yeah. And they had all of those really dark black flies. Um, That was like the main one that came up that stood out to them. 
And she said they also found names of demons that torture and hurt kids, which felt explained, which she felt, sorry, explained what happened. And um, Eamon said other high-ranking demons were assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. Right. So after the minor exorcism thingy, the bishop then gave uh, Michael permission to do exorcism. The real, the on, real deal. On the Amons. Yeah. So I think at this time they were living elsewhere and they were coming down to, or not, I don't know where the states are located in America. Yeah. But they were like meeting up at the house to do these exorcisms or, or meeting up at the churches. So I think this is the first, oh, all three of the major exorcisms, um, two were in English and one was in Latin, were all performed at Merrillville Church. So they weren't, it wasn't at the house, so it was at the church. So during each, Michael said he praised God and condemned the devil. He pressed a crucifix against um, Amon's head as he spoke. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, all your fell companies, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Michael said his voice continued to get louder and more forceful until the demon weakened. He said he could tell how strong the demon was by how much Amon's convulsed. So two of the police officers attended these exorcisms just in case Amon's needed Got to be restrained at all. Yep. And um, so they, they let it all happen, which was good. Amon said she prayed with Michael until it became too painful. She said she felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict pain at the same time. She said it was different from a natural pain but felt as, an inten- as intense as giving birth. I was hurting all over from the inside out, she remembered. I'm trying to do my best and be strong. Okay, so eventually, um, Amons fell asleep and she said that was the way the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. In between the second and third exorcisms, Michael said he went on a retreat. A woman who assisted Michael with some of the exorcisms helped set up a backup plan in case Amon's had problems while Michael was gone. So, yeah, the lady wrote th- the demon's name on a piece of paper, put an envelope, and tucked the envelope away, blessed it with salt and all that stuff, and said if Amon's had any troubles, the woman would burn the envelope. Michael blessed their new home and everything before he went on his retreat, but while he was on his retreat, um, Amon's was still having really, really bad dreams. So the woman ended up burning the envelope and the nightmares ended. So in the final exorcism on, at the end of June, 2012, Michael said that he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English. Police officers did not attend this time. So Michael's brothers took guard. Michael said Amon's convulsed while he condemned the demons, but did not convulse during prayer. When she fell asleep, he said words of thanksgiving. It would be the last time Amon saw Michael. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis, where they say they now live without fear. Amon's old home on became an object of local curiosity, so much so that the owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called the Gary Police Department to ask 
officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring his new tenant. So apparently the new tenant had no issues. There was no issues before the Amons moved in. Um, and yeah. That, that yeah, was, right. Yeah. So they're like, hey, stop checking up on the house to see if it's burned down yet. Yeah. My tenant's been creeped out. Yeah. But he said um, knowing that the Catholic Church got involved with their claims kind of made him believe that maybe there is something going on and maybe the new tenant just doesn't notice. Right. You know? Maybe he's blind. Maybe they're all blind. And can't feel and can't hear. Maybe. Maybe all that exorcisms really did help. Or did it because... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so after about six months, I should just to conclude, after about six months... um with no demonic presences or spirits in the new home. And, you know, Latoya got her job and everything. She got the kids back. She got full custody of her three kids back. And I think that's that's a nice happy ending for them. So what happened to the house after that, do you say? Well, there's a guy called Zach Baggins. Baggins? Baggins. 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 And he's the host of Ghost Adventures. And he bought the fucking house. And he made a documentary. Um... Of investigating the house and all of this stuff, and I, I, I found the documentary, mm. but I couldn't buy it or anything anywhere because every time I clicked the link to buy it, it would be like, "Nope, can't buy it." And uh-huh. I was like, "I'm literally, I literally just want to buy this, like, so <laughs> yeah. I can watch it." Um, but there is the um, it's called Demon House, of course, and then there's Demon House, uh, lost footage or something. And then Demon House 2, The Awakening. Demon House 2, that's it, yeah. Which I want to watch all of them. But um, I was watching the leaked lost footage or whatever, and you can literally see the effects it has on all the crew members. Yeah. And considering that one of them even took lie detector tests and it came back conclusive, like, that's... Yeah, the the documentary is very well done. Obviously, he's a paranormal personality Expert. yeah you could say so he <laughs> he does he knows I how think, to make it theatrical yeah but i think a lot of the stuff that happened and the like the genuine the genuine sorry screams that you that came out of him when he heard no he didn't even hear it he felt like a force push through him while he was walking down the basement yeah and then in the audio you hear like a gruntly grown thing as he feels that force that pushes him out of the basement and runs up the stairs screaming like you okay a grown man does not try and put on that scream yeah you know what i mean like if you if someone was like hey brain and scream you'd be like oh you know what i mean because you're a man you don't want to see like a little bitch you're screaming about something you know because that's toxic masculinity (laughs) just want to say that. It's okay, okay to scream, boys. It's okay. You can scream. But, yeah, so I think those videos are... Those movies are something to, like, definitely so, watch because it holds a lot of in. evidence to stuff that's going on. Yeah. But then he <laughs> he demolished the house in 2016 anyway. Good. Good idea. He literally said, what do you say? He said the place was too evil to leave standing. 
<laughs> well, I'm happy that he demolished it. And that's that's the demon house in Gary. Awesome. Thanks, babe. That was terrifying. Thank you. Yeah, that's probably the most in-depth um, haunted house that there is on the entire of the uh, paranormal world. Oh, yeah. Hey, we have a new review. Love it. Loving the podcast, each episode has its quirks, spooks, and facts. Also, loving the haunted sketch. You mean a poltergeist coffee mug that I purchased. The detail in the drawing is awesome. From SJF29. Thank you very much, SJF29. Thank you so much. We love you. Thank you for purchasing some of purchasing. Perching. Thank, thank you, you for, for perching our merch. <laughs> thank you for purchasing our perching our merchasing. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, on with me, I guess. So yeah. today I had promised to speak about giants, but I am sorry to disappoint you all once again <laughs> because that topic requires much more research, which I'm slowly compiling. Instead, I decided to chat about a bit of a hot topic at the current moment and a story relating to that hot topic. And that is that the Pentagon's UFO hunting department is going to have to release some of its findings to the public. Some of its findings to the public. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we'll finally find out all the government officials are really shape-shifting lizard people and finally work out why butt stuff is such a big deal with aliens. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In all seriousness, I'm super excited to see what different findings they've actually found and what they release. Uh, Just last year, I think a few weird previously classified videos released to the public showcasing a number of rather odd-looking flying craft that travel in, like, inconventional methods. Yeah, I think we've both watched those, where, like, the ship kind of, like, moves fast on an axis that shouldn't be able to move fast on. Yeah. Very weird. It's got, like, all these lights on it. Yeah, one thing to look up. Definitely. Undoubtedly. Yeah, I also The general found public out. really needs to work on how they record things, by the way. I agree. Uh, one thing I found peculiar about the announcement was the pe- that the Pentagon released information that the UFO unit is run by the Navy. Like you'd In can, the Navy. You'd, you'd think it'd be like a... Um, I mean, the Air Force, right? Considering it's unknown flying objects, not unknown floating objects. <laughs> Oh, you dirty dog. That does, however, bring me to today's story. A story of a UFO, an unidentified floating object, (laughs) known as the legend of Utsurobune, which translates from Japanese to hollow ship. So the best part about this legend is that it wasn't uh, written about just once, but a total of three times in 1800s historical manuals. Uh, that lists first-hand accounts of this incredibly strange, possibly paranormal encounter, maybe, I don't know. Uh, the first is from 1825, and it's called the Toen Shosetsu. Uh, the next is the Hyoryu Kishu in 1835, and the Umino Chiri from 1845. Uh, the description of the event in all three of these manuscripts are remarkably similar, similar. And it has been theorized that they all have the same historical origin. So the story goes that on February 22nd, 1803, fishermen of Harayadiri 
spotted an unidentified floating object drifting off the shore. Both concerned and curious of what exactly the strange and vaguely spherical craft could be, they set off in their boats and together they all hauled it back to the shore. Much to the shock of the seamen, the <laughs> oh my god, you're a child. The object was almost five meters in height, seven meters in diameter, and resembled an incense burner, aka a classic-looking UFO. And this this was all before like recorded regular UFO sightings that occur in like the US and all across the world. Yeah, I think because the Japanese are like way ahead of their time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they dragged that vessel back to shore and inspected it thoroughly. The top of the spherical craft was made of an odd red wood-like material, and the bottom half of the craft was covered in metallic plates banded across the semi-spherical underside. The top half of the craft was also covered in barred windows backed with thick glass or crystal. And when the fishermen gazed inside of the craft, they saw an interesting interior. They saw sheets, bottled water, cake, meats, and panels with odd script and language that was seemingly unknown. Not only that, what shocked them further was that they saw a gorgeous foreign woman inside the craft in her early 20s. So alive, alive. After seeing that, the fisherman was staring at her. The woman managed to somehow make her way out of the vessel and sort of start interacting with them. It's not exactly explained how exactly she did, she like did this, uh, whether there was a door or anything. But she suddenly started interacting with them and left the vehicle. The beautiful young lady stood only five feet tall, had incredibly long red hair that faded to white at the tips, and wore fabrics of unknown origin. All of this, of course, weren't the parts that startled them. What they found exceptionally strange about the woman was that she spoke a completely unknown dialect, which, I mean, 1800s Japanese fishermen probably didn't really have the biggest vocabulary, well, didn't have the biggest range of language knowledge. So yeah, maybe she, true. Maybe she was just from another country. But um, also, she was carrying a strange and small box made of some ivory-colored material. She was, mm. and she wouldn't let it go out of her possession. She was, however, quite friendly, and so long as no one tried to touch the box she was carrying, she would smile and go along with whatever they were doing and accept their hospitalities and whatnot. Did it have her probe in it? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, eventually one of the wise fishermen mentioned for the to the rest of the community that he had heard this tale before and decided that this lady was a distant princess who was exiled after killing her husband and she was cast out to the sea with the head of her husband in a box. Ooh. And for whatever reason, the fishermen were like, oh, that's got to be it. So they forced her back I mean, into the boat and pushed her back out to sea. It's very plausible. <laughs> How is that? I think I read that there was another, um, in one of the other manuscripts, there was another encounter with her like a year later. So she'd probably finally gotten back to the back to Japan, like gone around the world, come back to Japan, like, thank God I'm home, gets out. Oh, shit, these guys again. And they push her back out to sea again. Really? <laughs> I, think, I think it was something along this, a very similar... 
Oh my god! They're like, I thought we got rid of you. Yeah, I know. Uh, so obviously, conspiracy theorists and us here at this podcast, of course, potentially, uh, may believe that this could be some kind of UFO. Absolutely. I mean the the images, 10 10, absolutely, 100%. the images that were actually recorded of the craft and of the script that was written inside. You want to see it right now? Yes. Yeah, here it is, the Edo period uh, manuscript. This was the appearance of the craft, wow. a very strange-looking uh, kind of sorcerous-shaped thing. Uh, here is a closer look at the shape of this. And then you can see these all on our Instagram, by the way. And this is the writing. None of these symbols look remarkably similar to anything that I've seen before. Absolutely not. Even though, like, we have a lot of, in this world, we have so many different cultures and have all got their different different countries and different languages and writings, but, like, that just looks like... It almost looks like somewhere between Japanese and hieroglyphs. Yeah, because one of the second the second letter looks like the Japanese number well, letter for f- the number five. Oh, but I mean the rest of them. I mean, there's like an inverted unk, like it, it's very strange, and triangles with circles, like it. It just looks like pictures, but yeah, apparently they, yeah they they theorize that maybe the Japanese people just um. Missaw things or misremembered them and then made up, you know, theories that she was an alien and drew up these symbols thinking that they looked similar. Because, I mean, if you looked at another language and would had to immediately draw it up, you'd probably draw it up looking something similar to that as well. So it's a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the rationalists out there would probably argue that she was probably from Russia or somewhere along those lines because uh, she was foreign-looking, looking like someone of, like, a white descent, like a Caucasian descent. Mm-mm. So they theorized that maybe she was a... Uh, well, the Japanese fishermen theorized that maybe she was a United States princess or okay. something like that because, you know, they have them over there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but they seem to... Th- historians seem to think that... Uh, Russia, especially with the hair color, the red that like fades to white. Apparently, yeah. that was something that had uh, occurred in Russia at that time. Very oh strange, gosh. huh? And they sent so her strange. back out to sea to die, <laughs> or to return to her motherland in Atlantis. I do what wonder what happened to her. Some say she's still floating around now. <laughs> Some say it's not her husband's head in a box. It's her baby. Oh, wow. That's creepy. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all I have time for today. I'm sorry. I took up all the time. That's okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for listening. We love you so much. We hope you're doing okay. Yeah. How are you? If you're not, hey, reach out to someone. Reach out to us. We'll talk to you. Absolutely. I'm here for you. We love you. We love you. We love everyone. And I guess that brings us to the end. So I suppose there's just one more thing to tell the people, babe. You got to remember. To exercise regularly. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.